Hi, everyone. Welcome to the We Shape podcast. Uh, season two is well on its way. Happy January. Happy New Year. We have a very special guest that I have uh, waited for January to be here. I, I re- We were going to record this in December, and I said, well, something happened and we couldn't. But regardless, I was like, I want to air James's episode in January. Um, because his ability to communicate the importance of movement is, is he just has such an, an ability to communicate some of the importance behind that. And I thought it would be a really meaningful conversation as people are setting New Year's resolutions and trying to lose weight and burn calories and all these crazy, crazy toxic things. So I'm going to just start off with your bio and then we're going to jump right in because I have a feeling we're going to take up all our time today. So here we go. Oh, I got to get my glasses. Sorry, guys. All right, Dr. Vega grew up in Los Angeles and attended Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. After graduating in 1995 with a Bachelor of Science degree in physical therapy, he returned home to work in a neurological rehabilitation center. He worked almost exclusively with patients suffering from the after effects of a stroke, spinal cord injury, or traumatic brain injury, Parkinson's disease, and multiple sclerosis. Dr. Vager moved, into Santa, moved to Santa Cruz in 2004 with his family where he opened Perfic- Precision Physical Therapy and Fitness to establish a new standard in physical therapy care. He received a doctorate of physical therapy degree in 2007 after completing his capstone project of develop, developing a clinical reasoning tool to assist novice physical therapists while working with patients with neurological conditions. He became one of only 65 certified dynamic neuromuscular stabilization practitioners in the country in 2013, and he continues his education and training through the Prague School of Rehabilitation and the Postural Restoration Institute. Holy moly! (laughs) Welcome to the show, James. My gosh, I feel like I needed like a reading course just to be able to get through that bio. Um, Well, welcome to the show. Uh, Tyler and I have known you for years. You're actually a close personal friend of mine. Um, but it, that does not, that is not why you are here. You are here because I have been a patient of yours. I've watched you with patients over the years and your approach to physical therapy is unique. It's a very different approach. And I feel like we have a lot that we can talk about. So, um, I first want to start. Can I share something real quick? Sorry. I just want to jump in with something really quick. So I've had five knee surgeries. And I'll never forget after the first knee surgery going to one of these kind of like, you know, commercial physical therapy clinics. And I was really into like health and fitness and movement at the time. And I was kind of like, oh, these people are supposed to be like experts in rehabilitation and everything. And, you know, some of the PTs that were there really seemed to know what they were doing. But what they typically do in those places, they, a PT sees you, then they give you an aid. And then the aide works with you. And the assumption I think most people make is that that the aide is is well-versed in movement and therapy and stuff like that. And I'll never forget walking in one day, and a guy walks up to be my aide, and it's a friend of mine from high school. And I know that this guy knows absolutely nothing about movement. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, my friend knew the person, and I got a job here. And I just immediately realized, like, these clinics are not their um, – providing this amazing quality work in the ways that I think a lot of people are thinking of. And I was very fortunate to, uh, after that knee surgery, uh, on my next knee surgery, uh, go to James. And I've had uh, four since then, and James has been a part of my rehabilitation process. And I just want to say thank you, James, because I've probably spent, I don't know, 100 100 or more hours with you on rehab. 
and I've just picked your ear every single time. And so much about movement that I currently use, uh, I've learned from you. So, so thank you, and and thank you for just being a, a shining light in the physical therapy industry where there's a lot of people who aren't. Thank you. I I I do want to speak on that for a, a moment. I think when people who don't have a lot of experience with either being injured or uh, routine uh, access to healthcare, meaning they go in for a checkup once in a while, and but they're never really in it because they have a problem. Mm. Uh, they assume that all level of uh, care is the same. Oh, this is a doctor, this is an MD, they know what they're supposed to do. This is a chiropractor, this is a osteopath, and in my experience on the provider side, it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. That there are good practitioners who care about the work that they do, who are invested in getting people better, who are, in, who, who are invested in their, their clients, their patients, um, to the extent that they do the research, they do the work, they, they are involved. And then there are those that aren't. And um, I have lots of things to say about how physical therapists are trained. I think people uh, from, from like the traditional medical model think that physical therapy are just basically technicians. And oh, they go in for a knee problem, you have a knee problem, you do the knee exercises and you get better. Or they don't work for you be because you did the knee exercises and they just didn't work, so you have a problem that can't be fixed. Um, and there is no thought that goes behind it or there never goes that next step. And I just wanna let everybody in the world know that there are good practitioners that know a lot and who care a lot and have different ways of understanding the human body, different ways of understanding pain. And those practitioners are out there. If you're not getting the result that you want, find somebody else. That's good, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't have to accept this, this practitioner made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't get my question answered. Uh, this just doesn't feel right. I'm not progressing. You don't, you don't need to accept that. It is 100% your right, your duty to take care of yourself and get the answers you need. And this reminds me. So I had a, I, like I said you were my first close, my close personal friend, and that's not why you're here. But I guess we're gonna have a bunch of stories. So here we go. Um, <laughs> one of them is I had a friend who was finishing her doctorate degree in physical therapy. And I said, where are you going to intern? I said, are, are you going to go over with James? She goes, I'm too scared to go over there. And I said, why are you scared? She goes, Katie, his standard of care is you really have to know what you're doing over there. And it scares me. Oh, and no, I was they like, have to know what they're doing? <laughs> I know. No, but like, and I think she like, obviously, like she's been a physical therapist now for 10 years. She does know what she's doing. But I think like you set a standard that that just was a testament to how your practice is set aside. And um. I can. Eat. I had my own experience in in working with your with your clinic. I had um, extensive ankle reconstructive surgery, and the thing about it is the surgeons actually don't tell you what's going to happen after. They just tell you you need this surgery. So I had the surgery, and then I went in, and your your business partner Chris said, "Oh yeah, we're going to teach you how to rewalk." And I said, excuse me? And he said, yeah, your, your ankle needs to learn how to function properly again. So you're going to come here like three to four days a week. I was like mind blown. <laughs> and then at the end, I had developed, I always tell a story because it's, it's burned in my memory, but I had developed, um, I have a pretty significant size scar that goes from my, you know, my foot all the way up to my, through my ankle. And I had developed really bad scar tissue. Like there was like a mountain on my ankle. 
And since I was your friend, you came in and you said, ooh, that or that, we're going to fix that today. And I said, what does that mean? And then you took me in a room and you closed the door. <laughs> oh, no. And you got out this scalpel-looking device and you proceeded. What did you even do? Um, well, there's uh, instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization techniques. And <laughs> I know it, it's a mouthful. Sounds, sounds pain-free. <laughs> sounds like torture. And, and, it, and I will have to say that it typically is pain-free, but because we're such good friends, <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to take it that little extra step. But um, Oh, it was not pain-free. Because you, you, I feel like is it right. something that maybe you could achieve over multiple sessions and yes. you were like, we're going to do today. all of this today? today. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, but your scar the, looks great. I've <laughs> seen it. It really <laughs> looks good now. You fixed me. Um, and I'm going to share one other story that was really impactful. So, uh, Tyler's dad was really struggling with his hip and he would not go see you. And I was like, well, uh, you know, we're going to have him come see you then. And so I brought you over to his house and like, what's fascinating. One of my favorite things to do is to watch you work with patients because you actually don't do a lot of talking. You just kind of go move here do this, do this, do this. And then often what I find is people, I, I don't know why this happens, but people will break down in tears. And um, I don't know if it's just because you're fi they're finally getting help or they're finding relief, but I think the point of the story is that I've watched you and had my own personal experience, Tyler, many personal experiences where you've really been able to help people come out of major injury. And I think that that is, I mean, for anyone who's ever experienced pain or an injury, to be able to have someone who can provide that relief. Even during my last pregnancy, um, Macy was sitting on my back in a weird way, and I had a pinched nerve that was causing severe restless leg syndrome. And I would go to every practitioner for anything, chiropractic, massage, like different, everybody. And it got so bad that I find I usually wait till the very last second before I call <laughs> you because I don't want to bother you. And you're always like, why did you wait so long? <laughs> but anyway, you came over and you said, oh, this is going to be painful. I'm going to move the baby around and move your rib cage. And I was like, okay. And it was. But then I got, I'll never forget, I remember feeling like I got relief for three days. Like you moved her in a way that came off my back. And I'm like, James is the only person who can <laughs> fix people, um, which I know isn't true. But I have watched you really help a lot of people in significant ways. And anyone who's experienced physical pain in the body, it messes with every part of your life. And so to be able to have a skill set to come in and have a, a really unique functional approach to their movement patterns and provide them relief is a very, very exceptional skill set. So... Um, I, I don't know where you want to start, Tyler. I mean, no, basically, I our whole product is predicated on <laughs> James. Yeah. So I so, don't know. So, um, I've even had him go through and be like, do you approve this product, James? So I mean, so I think I really want to come back to the emotional piece in a sec, because I've had the same experience as a trainer where people have these emotional releases from their body. Um, and I think it's really important to touch on. But I think if we rewind a little bit further back first, you know, one of the one of the things that I really despise about the fitness industry is this notion that like exercise, fitness, workouts is all about how much you can sweat, how high you can get your heart rate, or how much you can pump your muscles. And for me, I was very fortunate enough to injure myself so badly that it was it had to be about movement. And the moment I saw myself as more of a practitioner of movement or an educator of movement, the moment that moment I was like looking at all the other personal trainers and all the other people and going like, you don't get it. 
Right. And I'm just so curious, like maybe you can shed some light on your experience with that and kind of help people understand. Because to this day, there's not a single person that I talk to that immediately understands it's about learning to move your body better. And when you move your body well, you, you have very low likelihood of getting injured in pain and, and experiencing pain. But when you move poorly uh, and you especially when you pour fuel on the fire, you know, people move poorly and then they go out and they run and they do all this stuff and they wonder why they're getting injured. Well, they got to start at the basics and they're not doing that. So maybe you could shed some light on that. Yeah, this is a, you know. It, how it overlays the fitness world and and the rehab world, uh, paint the world of people living in pain or living with pain. People don't have a good understanding of where pain starts. And what I mean by pain, I mean like, um, oh, slowly my knee started hurting or my back started hurting. I'm not talking about people that have some sort of insidious problem like a cancer or some other infection. I'm talking about people that have the, the pain in their elbows, their knees, their feet, that kind of back pain. Pain, people have a very, um, uh, I don't wanna say strange, but in, from my perspective, it's being on this side of it, it, it seems strange. That somehow pain is some sort of alien visitor that somehow inhabited their body for no reason. Right, you're and, unlucky. Right, and I need to figure out how to get this alien to get out of my body. Can I go to surgery and have it cut out? Can I go to a chiropractor and have them pop it out? Can I take can, a pill? And... Can I take a pill? Can I do a stretch? And that is really, a, the structure, the belief behind that is completely false. If I, um, there's a number of ways it starts. And it's, and it's really a process. It's really like a, there's a starting point and then it develops over time. Our bodies have an amazing capacity for um, uh, rejuvenation, an amazing capacity for um, uh, to be uh, limited in some way and figure out a way around it. Mm -hmm. So if I can't lift my arm in front of me the proper way, my body has enough um, overlap and, and duplicitous uh, movement uh, muscles and, and joint freedom to allow me to move my arm so it looks kind of normal, right. even though it's not done normally in, yeah. in the in the normal human movement way. So can I just pause for that? Because I just want to make sure the listeners totally understand what you're saying. Like, um, you know, when you're born, ideally, you're, you learn how to move properly and then you no. lift your arm. No, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> You don't actually. I'll start. The, we'll start. We'll start at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's start in the you, womb. You get me started. Okay. And actually, they have done. They're starting to do um, intrauterine studies on movement and movement development, and that there that we learn and output movement patterns actually in the uterus that are different because we're in a reduced gravity situation because we're suspended in fluid, mm -hmm. and that we have to relearn and re-output different patterns when we get out of the womb. It's crazy. Anyway, I know it's it's weird, but so when we are born, we are uh, one of the only animals, uh, creatures, beings, however we're, I don't want to offend anybody, that um, is born immature, completely immature. We don't have the ability to do anything well except for three things: breathe, defecate, and suck. Those are the only things we know how to do. We can't see, we can't really hear that well, we don't have any coordinated movement in our limbs. And so we spend the first about 12 weeks of our existence breathing, eating, and going to the bathroom. And then what happens then is our brain, some magic thing starts 
where the genetically encoded movement patterns begin to play out. Doesn't matter if you are born in the middle of a jungle in South America or in Chicago, you are gonna output the exact same movement pattern in the movement sequence. It's not taught, it's not instructed, it is something we play out from our genes. Uh, Can any sort of physical environment interfere with the expression of that? In other words, change course? Sure. If you are not handled, if you're not allowed to be on your stomach, if you're not allowed to move freely, if you're not interacted with, all those things if you have uh, some sort of injury to your brain. Or if you're put in one of these things that holds you upright before your body's supposed to hold up. Exactly right. Like so that. there are different there are different pieces, and I, and I will say as a side note, I don't know if we're getting too far into the weeds, but about a third of humans don't develop correctly. They don't develop... Um, That's a big number. It's a big number. And it, <laughs> like you didn't even learn to crawl correctly. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. And so it really affects because... It, how, why, this is all, why this all matters is because if I output the sequence perfectly, um, because I'm really immature physically... The pulling of the muscles by the movement pattern that's elicited automatically, uh, the pull of the muscles it is what shapes our bones. It shapes our joints. It aligns us to what we are as adults. So that is why, this is one of the big reasons why, uh, you know when they uh, substitute, um, when they put implants in the body like titanium, a hip, titanium hip, or and they tr or uh, uh, steel plates in the in the leg to try to like fix a fracture and they'll snap, and it's because the bones can be so light because they are sp specifically designed to withstand the exact forces that are being placed on it by the muscle. You put different structures in there that aren't don't have that tensile strength in that specific way, mm -hmm. and that's why they can break. So anyway, that was a little bit of a digress, but. So if it happens normally, we get normal joints, we get normal function, we get normal use. If it doesn't happen normally, our joints don't won't form the correct way, okay? Um, and so that can be lead to a whole other host of problems. And about a third of people have some sort of hiccup along the way of development. And um, one of the other things I realized is about a third of the population will access physical therapy at some point in their life. Mm. And I just was like, wow. And, and I learned those statistics and do totally separate places and I thought that was really what's interesting strange. it's a little bit of a tangent but I always think about this so when I was in child development there was a I don't know if she was a researcher or I don't I don't know what her anyway her name was Magda Gerber and her whole program's philosophy is we do not put infants in position that they are not meant to be in we do not put them in contraptions everything is at their level everything is done and we give them the physical autonomy to move their body how it should we actually don't intervene until it's dangerous so I used to work in centers where the Magda Gerber philosophy was implemented in these infant environments and the whole idea was that you set up the environment with no contraptions the children are given materials that are developmentally appropriate and they move their bodies and if however that may be rolling crawling moving sitting up you never put them in those positions and the only time you interject is if they're gonna about to like roll down a stair or something sure. right yeah. so like when their own safety was jeopardized but i remember knowing that and um, I think for the most part, we didn't put our infants in. I had baby swings because Ellie needed to be moving 24-7. But, um, <laughs> but like, changed. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like 
it was like, oh my gosh, like that is, it's not just for, because when you're talking about that from the child development lens, from the, from the developmental psychology perspective, you're talking about the emotional and cognitive messages you're giving children. You're capable, you're safe, trust your body, right? But you're talking about it from like a very different lens, but with the same, same implication. Intent. Yeah, yeah, yes, 100%. So if I take, let's just assume we have a normal developmental process that, that happens and I learn how to control my body properly and my joints are moved the way they were designed to move. And I talk about that a lot with my uh, patients, with my clients. Um, then you, you're gonna have a system that can last you decades and decades and decades and decades. And if I could maintain ideal alignment and ideal balanced use of all of my body and all of my joints, I'm never gonna have a, a painful day in my life. But let's say I want to join, uh, I feel like I need to get some exercise and I take uh, work with a personal trainer or I uh, take an exercise class uh, that is really uh, intense because you know the more intense, the better, right? Right. Um, let, let's celebrate the intensity. <laughs> Burn that's a joke, by the way, everyone, that's, in that's case you didn't get that. Um, and so why this is dangerous is because my body, if I am having my, uh, putting my body through, let's say, an overly intense activity, am I allowed to use brand names? I don't know. I, I think we are. Does it rhyme with schmosfit? Yes, it okay. does. Okay. <laughs> so let's say, for example, <laughs> you wanted to do a, a schmosfit class. Um, and the whole point is about the intensity of it and the, the intensity is celebrated. What you're doing is you're saying, I don't have the physical capability of performing the activity that I'm being asked to. But I, I under peer pressure and under pressure of this thinking that this is the right thing to do, um, I'm gonna push myself as hard. So even though I may not be able to do the 50th or 30th or 20th rep of a military press or a shoulder press, my body will do everything it can to get that last rep done because that is the pressure that you're putting on yourself and that's the environmental pressure. Yeah, you're sacrificing proper movement quality I've for work capacity. I've literally done right? this a million times. hundred <laughs> percent. So that's now why James I, is in business. So, <laughs> so I'm asking my body to perform a task that it is not capable of doing and I'm asking it to do it any way possible. And so what happens is because my body is so amazing and capable of compensating i get through it you figure I, out a way i've i've learned how to do it oh i don't i'm not going to do it normally on that 50th rep or the 40th through the 50th rep i'm going to do it this particular way it looks close to it but it's not right so can i pause you there that's where yeah. i let in when we went back to the infants thing like so as an example you might be like lifting your arm overhead and there's a certain muscle group that should do this movement but you're accomplishing the same movement and you're not necessarily using those muscles in the way they're supposed to, and you're using other ones to Correct. accomplish this. One of the most common things that I see is when someone lifts their arm over their head, you're not supposed to use your, your neck muscles mm -hmm. to facilitate that movement. But almost everybody I train, especially people with a tight neck, they all use their neck muscles yeah. mm -hmm. to facilitate lifting their arm up. Yeah. And that's just something that repetitively gets worse and worse and tighter, and then what do you end up with? Right. Neck pain, upper back pain, shoulder well, pain, et cetera. I think I got to interject as the as the person who's going to come in and ask the questions that maybe the people who are participating in Schmas Fit are going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I feel really called out right now. Also, I have an injury. <laughs> so what? I wonder how I got it. What if somebody says... There's, there's a couple questions I have. One, 
what if somebody says, I've been doing that for 10 years and I've never had an injury? What do you say to them? Uh, congratulations. <laughs> okay. And, and I would say participating in an intense activity and pushing your body doesn't necessitate that you are going to be doing it wrong. Okay? A. B. It also doesn't mean that if you're doing it wrong, that you as an individual don't have a tremendous level of capacity to uh, withstand that alteration and the misuse of how your body was intended to be used. That everybody's gonna have a different tissue tolerance. Some people, that's gonna break down in two weeks, and some people are gonna do it over and over and over again, and so they get to 60 years old, and they say, I don't have any idea why my shoulder is hurting me. So I'm not I... doing anything different. Uh, or they'll say, all I did was uh, brush my hair. So what I hear you saying is good congratulations and it's a matter of time. Yes. Okay. And I just want to point out that like sports performance and proper movement aren't necessarily intertwined. There I would are, say they're not intertwined at all. Well, in, in, it, it in a lot of cases they are. You. In a lot of cases they are and it depends on like how you innately move and who trained you but like there's some world-class athletes that move improperly. Um, I even talked to a coach of one of the uh, greatest Olympic weightlifters in the United States right now. And this Olympic weightlifter has the weirdest style I've ever seen. And I asked him, I said, hey, uh, why don't you repattern this guy's movement and you know, take him five steps backwards and take him 10 steps forward? And he looked at me in the eyes and said, I got an athlete that's setting world records. I don't mess with them. Well, that's and what I'm like, that's what I was saying. But, is, but his, his I bet is you maybe my maybe my comment around never is too extreme. But. I think when you're pushing people for performance, ultimately it's resorting in, resulting it, the, in a number of things. The question is, what are we doing here? Are we trying to encourage us to feel amazing in our bodies, or are we trying to push ourselves to the limit? Right. Right. And and I think the 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 individual person they join the CrossFit class because they want, sh Sorry, <laughs> Schmossfit. <laughs> we can believe it if we have to. Yeah. Um, they they join the class because they want to look good. They want to feel better. They want to feel more capable. They want to feel. Uh, they want to lose that weight. Th those intent. Those intentions are not bad. It's the method. By well, which... I'd argue that too, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later. But, but as in the goal that that person has for themselves. Yeah. Okay. That's not a bad goal to have, but it's the manner in which they're being told that they need to achieve that. And um, I am not not against doing intense things. My clients, some of my clients, do very intense things. Uh, but it has to be in service toward making your body function properly. It has to be in alignment with how your body was meant to work. It can't be in spite of. It has to be in alignment with. So because here's the thing, is when we're conditioned and trained in a toxic culture that says, do these intense movements, push yourself to the max, burn the max calorie so that you can look this way. That's a that's a different problem that we've addressed on other episodes of the podcast. But I, I have to try to get – so it's like I'm tackling that issue and then I'm also tackling this issue of how do I get buy-in for people to stop chasing that and to just learn how to move better in their body, right? It's like when people are like, what does we shape do? I'm like, oh, it's messy and layered because <laughs> I'm like – I'm trying to break these messages that you have to do this in the first place. And then I'm also trying to unwind belief systems around how the body's supposed to move. And so I, my, one of my goals for this episode is to get more buy-in for why we should be doing exercises that are rooted in functional movement patterns. And what I hear you saying is the one buy-in that I'm, I'm hearing you say so far is if you haven't gotten hurt yet, 
congratulations, your time will come. It, it, it will. For most people, it will. And it has to do with the amount of wear and tear, how, you know, a lot of things, how your body is nourished and a, a, bunch, of diff- a bunch of different factors I don't need to go into. Um, but but that is definitely that is definitely true. Um, uh, injury and pain are significant limiting factors to people's ability to not just participate in uh, exercise, but to feel at ease in their body. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever had a, a significant injury can attest to how life-altering it is. We brush it off. Oh, that person had knee surgery. This person had that. But when you're in that, those four and a half months it took me to learn how to rewalk were terrible. When Tyler was going through his knee surgery, it was terrible because the pain is just 24-7. So it's like always there. So I'm hoping that this will be buy-in for people to like better understand why we promote workouts that are rooted in these functional movement patterns and i would challenge that too i love the words functional movement patterns but that almost like says like it's something that we should all be striving for and what what james is saying is let's return to what we're innately designed to do normal and human movement and so maybe this is a good segue into like into that philosophy and concept right because i first learned this from you and it was you know instead of just taking someone and applying them to a movement pattern like you know you could work the core with the plank or whatever like that you you still might be um you might be shooting a cannon from a canoe Mm -hmm. right and what you need to do is you need to start back at the beginning how is the core supposed to stabilize movement? And literally, I'll never forget, it was, it was you laying me on my back, like a baby lays on its back, and said, lift your head. Now turn your head. Now lift your arm. And just learning that fundamental pattern. Because I think what people really need to hear is like, when you watch a, a baby have these motor pattern developments, they go from that position on their back, to that position on their tummy, to that you know, kneeling position Mm -hmm. to a crawling position, to a standing position, to a walking position. And all of that is by design how we're supposed to learn how to move. And I think that when someone gets injured, when someone has aches and pains, because, you know, there's doing too much, there's also doing too little, not moving enough. One of the best ways to bring you back to that place of moving the way your body's supposed to move is to take you back to the beginning and start with, how do you stabilize your core on your back while moving one limb? How do you stabilize your core on your back while moving two limbs? And through that. So maybe you can touch on that process. And Um, you you just said, so many things uh people need to appreciate i I really want everyone out there who is listening to this to really appreciate the incredible vehicle that they're walking around in on a daily basis Uh, our bodies are designed to unconsciously get us through this world and part of that is knowing at any given moment where your weakness is where your stiffness is where your problem area is. And you have a part of your brain that's solely dedicated to saying, oh, your shoulder doesn't really move that way, so if you're gonna reach above your head, we need to do it this way. It does it without you even having to think. It, it does it for you. Likewise, you have a whole set of automatic, pa- automatic processes in your body that if I'm gonna sit all day, for the majority of the day, I have things actively happening in my body which are changing my tissue to make sitting in this position easier. So the muscles uh, that, are, that are bending are gonna get longer and floppier, and the muscles that are shortened are gonna get shorter and stay shorter and be stiff. So I don't have to expend energy to get into this position. 
my brain is saying, we need to be as efficient as possible in everything we do. So there's these automatic processes that are constantly, if you sit all the time, your body is becoming as efficient as possible at sitting all the time. I'm gonna have a mental it. breakdown right now listening to this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm literally like, I have to go. I'm so sorry. I gotta go for a walk <laughs> I, immediately. There's a principle that you hear in a lot of like physical therapy and like uh, athletic training circles, which is the said principle. I'm sure you've heard that one before, but specific adaptation to impose demands, right? And I really love that you're saying this because people just need to realize whatever you're doing is what your body's adapting to. And so like you said, if you sit all day, your posture is slipping and that's causing these aches and pains and things like that. But it's actually, it's it's doing that to serve you, yes. right? Not to hurt you. Yeah. And what's really important is we recognize what are the things that are most important that we need to be able to maintain and do so that we don't operate within pain. So I don't know if you wanna continue on your dialogue and maybe <laughs> dovetail into that at some point. Well, it's it's really just a process of, uh, of taking these considerations in. Where, where have I over asked of my body? Where have I uh, been, where have I allowed my body to accommodate too much so that when I engage in an activity, I can do so in a way that is not going to ask too much of it, that I'm going to move along in that process. So if I go to that Schmosfit class and I have pushed too far and I've learned that this is the pattern that I need to use or that I can use to succeed, my brain immediately goes, oh, that's the winning pattern because it got me to achieve the goal. Even though it's not normal human movement, it's the one that got me to achieve the goal. And you couple that with like the dopamine and endorphin hits of like people cheering you on yes. and saying you did great and all of a sudden you, you root in that neurological pattern, right? right. So that becomes your dominant pattern. Yeah. And then you practice that pattern where now you're moving your system off of what it was designed to do and moving it off in a way that it was meant to be. You, you're gonna have a limited amount of time before those tissues start breaking down in a way that you can't repair. So, you know, we all have minor micro traumas that happen to us on a daily basis or near daily basis. We go to sleep, our body has the ability to repair those micro traumas. So they don't ever become macro traumas where they're felt in, in terms of pain. Eventually, if we repeat the same pattern over and over again in the same wear and tear in our body, that is gonna cause macro trauma, which is pain. And that where this becomes a problem, a cognitive dissonance between what you're happening in your body and what you recognize is, you haven't recognized pain or dysfunction in your body the whole time. You, let's say you did the, the Schmosfit class three years ago and you were still participating and you're not really, nothing's really a problem. And then you go to lift your arm to brush your hair and all of a sudden your shoulder starts hurting. You're like, well, this, it's gotta be how I brush my hair or it's gotta be the way I lifted the brush. Well, this is a problem that started years ago, but your body is so good at, at masking the issue that it's not, you're not really gonna have significant tissue damage where it's you know, uh, obvious uh, for much later. And that's why a lot of people that, let's say, aren't super active, but in their 60s, 50s, 60s, that's when they start having the joint pain because that's how much mileage has been put on those joints in that system where it's been moving off. And having to get people to understand that what's happening is an internal process and we need to unwind and rewind that process so we get back to how your body was meant to move. Yeah. And, and it sounds complicated, uh, but it's actually the most powerful uh, most pain relieving technique I've used. Uh, that's why I jumped in with so, so you know, uh, excitedly with this, these techniques 
because you, I can take someone from a seven out of 10 pain to a zero out of 10 pain just by putting them in the right position and having them move a little bit the right way. Yeah. It, it's incredibly powerful and getting people to understand that it's a process that's a natural process that's happening in their body and that it's not some sort of alien visitor that's come to visit, that it's something, a process that started by successful completion of what you're asking your body to do. Would it be safe to say that, you know, like I think about performance-based fitness and what people are doing when they're in the gym or doing a workout where they're trying to lift or they're trying to do reps or they're trying to, you know, do as fast as they can or whatever it may be, I always think of, they're thinking about like what they're trying to accomplish versus how they feel while they're trying to accomplish it. And, you know, our, our focus here is how do we shift that lens to not like how hard am I doing this, but how does it feel, feel. when I'm doing this? And notice like, if I try this, does it feel more aligned, easier, you know, uh, like does your body feel better? More controlled, yes. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was really hard for me when I, Kelvin, we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, I, I'm, I think you know Kelvin, I work out with him sometimes, was I'm like, load up the plates, buddy. Like, <laughs> I can do this. You know, like my like competitive nature came out and he like refuses to. He's like, we're just gonna get the movement down. <laughs> and I, it's cause I'm stuck, I was stuck in the belief too, that unless I left here limping, um, I didn't get a good workout. And I just am like, let's stop believing that <laughs> because we never feel good. And most of the time I don't feel too sore after I work out with him. Most of the time I actually have energy. I feel like I, I, my movement has gotten better and I feel better, but I'm not meeting any of the standards that our society tells us to in terms of my numbers, my reps, my, I'm not vomiting in my workouts. Like yeah. I don't have any real achievements other than I feel great. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the psychological, uh, which is strongly linked to the emotional uh, expectation that people have when they enter, let's say, the rehab space. I know it's the same for the fitness because I've instructed fitness classes. And uh, really for me, when I watch someone do a movement and I'm really trying to, uh, the word deconstruct is so overused, but when I'm trying to peel back the layers of how they think that they're supposed to move, how they think they're supposed to perform an activity, how they think they're supposed to uh, perform the exercise, and say, no, I just want you to lie here and I want you to roll forward until you feel resistance. Not pain, not stretch, just roll until you feel resistance. And how few people can really understand that piece because they are shooting, oh, I'm supposed to roll this far forward, even though I've never given them that goal, I've never said this is how far forward you should do it, they automatically project themselves 30 degrees forward, uh, 10 minutes in the future, uh, to the point where they're supposed to be normal. Even though they don't really have an idea of what normal is, they want to be normal, and they're shooting for this objective that they don't really understand. And trying to coach people, instruct people, on where you're going to get the most benefit is moving from right where you are to where to the next place that you're able to go yeah yeah you know there's a really cool drill that people can try at home to kind of maybe just give them an experience that would would highlight this um and i think what i'm hearing you say too is let's all practice movement not do exercise correct right correct. and and so like if you're at home and you can straighten your leg straighten your leg and and make a very slow circle with your toe and when you do that, what you'll notice is there are points of the movement that are very smooth, and there are points of the movement that feel like a ratchet that goes bop, 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 and moves from spot to spot. 
Um, the points where they're ratchety are points where you don't have a neurological connection to the ability to perform that movement smoothly. And the points that are smooth are the points where you have a neurological connection to the ability to perform that smoothly. This is exacerbated across the entire body. And it's those ratchets, those inability to move things smoothly and with control and coordination, where we start to develop those injuries, aches and pains, lack of support, stability, et cetera. So I don't know, I think it's just one way maybe for people at home to try something out. You said something a minute ago, and I think this is a great dovetail. Um, you said, you know, there's this emotional component to it. And I find that that's a massively understated component. And when we look at someone, I often say you can, you can see someone's, uh, you know, self-worth or how they're thinking about themselves and the way they carry themselves. And I'm sure that you've had way more experience <laughs> than, than this than I do. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe you could share some of like the, the, the you know, the insights you've had around that or, or experiences or stories or whatever feels comfortable for you yeah, around that side of things. I, I, um, this is a big aspect. When I first started working as a physical therapist, I would have like the older PTs and they would give me, you know, oh, you know, it's, you realize you're just working with people's minds. And I'd be like, yes, yes, brother, yes. And it's not until I've been doing this almost 30 years that I really understand that that is 90% of what I do. Uh, because people come in with so much expectation and belief around why they have pain, uh, whether or not their pain is ever gonna go away, uh, if I will be able to affect their pain, uh, do they believe their doctor for referring them? Are they mad at their doctor for doing the surgery? Did, but did the surgery go like it was supposed to? And it creates this uh, bubble. Uh, uh, for some people, it's defensiveness. For, some, for other people, it's uh, feeling um, out of control and they don't want to give that control to anybody else. Um, and I really have to, I think, I really believe this, that good practitioners, doesn't matter their field, when it comes to the body, will be able to help that person recognize their personal beliefs about their body will, is the most direct way to get them to improve their body. Mm -hmm. If I can get them to release that emotional, whatever it is, uh, uh, defensiveness or frustration or anger, um, I can get it to go away. I can I can open the doorway to possibility for them to allow them to heal, to allow them to change how they perceive their movement, how they can move, what they're capable of doing. Um, it's it's incredibly powerful, and I ha I have a reputation in my practice. We have uh, we have like fifteen therapists now, and uh, so I do a lot of mentoring for my staff. And so if they have a patient that's not necessarily doing that well or they want them to do better or they have questions, I'll come in and do, you know, help them with the, with the treatment. And it's just, I have a reputation for making patients cry. It's just something I do. And- <laughs> Sign me up today. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, it's not because I'm- <laughs> Where do we line up? Yeah. It's not because I'm uh, doing something that's creating physical pain. Um, this is my favorite story. I had a, a, a therapist who said, I have this patient and she has back pain. She's had back pain for years. And she gets a little better when she's here. Uh, I think I know what's going on, but she's just not getting better. Like I tell her what to do and I can get her to get feel better, but then she comes back and everything is bad. She's really frustrated. Uh, can you come in and, and work with her with me? And I said, sure. So we walk up to the lobby and we open the door and the woman is standing there and 
the the woman like she's standing in the middle of the lobby. I don't really know why she's standing in the middle of the lobby, but she's standing in the lobby and she we open the door and she immediately looks at the door and she looks at her therapist and then she looks at me and she just bursts into tears. <laughs> like <laughs> like a full <laughs> breakdown in the middle of the lobby and that's something <laughs> I I have a lot of theories as to why I, I why that is. But um there is uh, getting, and th- and then during that session, she cried a lot more. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I was positioning her, you know? I was positioning her and I was creating the space for her to, for her to feel safe enough to let go. To let go of having to hold her body together. To letting, of having to hold on to Will I feel better? Won't I feel better? But it was just a space to allow her to exhale. And she just cried. And <laughs> I literally just, she was lying on the table. And I, I did, I was putting pressure on her in certain places. But I mean, her pain went to zero. Um, and that sort of experience happens all the time. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it, it's just part of me recognizing uh, the person that's inside the dysfunction, the person that's inside of the struggle, the person that's inside of the pain, um, to really understand and allow them the space to uh, let go enough to get to a baseline. Yeah. Instead of having to hold this almost performative. That they don't even they, realize they're doing that though. They don't. No, they don't have a. They don't have yeah. a. Clue. And this isn't just like this isn't just a, a gift you have, you know. I, I think actually, I think it is a gift that you have. Um, but but I think that this happens to a lot of people who work in these physical fields, right? Um, you know, there's a great book called The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and you know, very detailed goes into how trauma and emotions are stored in the body and how those can influence posture and the way you hold yourself and the tightnesses and things like that. So you know, like it sounds like what you're alluding to is you know, people get an injury, maybe maybe. Uh, it's gradual over time. Maybe it's related to emotions. Maybe it stimulates emotions. But either way, they get stuck in that. And and what you're trying to do is help them feel safe enough, either through the nervous system or through the body, to allow that to come out. And then it becomes a little unstuck. Yes. Right? Yes. And uh, here's an example. I had uh, a client who um, uh, had cerebral pal- has cerebral palsy. And so she ha- she's in her 30s. And so she's moved her whole life with this pretty significant limp. Her right leg really doesn't contact the ground correctly. Uh, so it's been causing some pain, uh, instability. She can't really uh, walk uh, with a surety. She can't, you know, she falls frequently. And during my first visit with her, she wasn't just coming and saying my leg hurts or my back hurts or my leg doesn't work right. She was coming with um, the emotion of having to manage this everywhere she goes. Mm. In every situation she's in. Her entire life. This, wearing this. And uh, what I said to her, I said, oh, you know, let me take off your shoes and socks and let me look at your foot. Let me look at your leg. Let me see you stand up. And I said, I'm just going to, is it okay if I work on your leg a little bit? Sure. I'm just going to move your foot around. Is this okay? Yeah. How does that feel? Oh, it's kind of stretchy. I said, okay. Well, um, and all I did, I mean, I was just moving her foot around a little bit. And then I said, hey, you know, this must be really hard for you. 
and she said, what? I said, you know, to, to have this and, you know, you have this leg your whole life. And it also, I'm sure you've been to therapy before. She said, yeah, a lot. And I said, it also must be like coming back here, knowing that nothing is really going to change, that it's going to be the same old, same old, and you're sort of only here because your doctor told you to come. Um, let's, let me just see what you look like when you stand up now. And she stood up and her foot went on the ground a little bit better. And she just burst into tears because she'd never had an experience when, when I was talking to her about it. She said, no one has ever made me feel that way. No one has sort of understood where I was coming from. No one made me feel like I could change. She didn't feel seen. They don't feel seen. And if I don't feel seen, I'm never going to let go. Mm. Physically. physically. Literally physically. Physically. Yeah. Emotionally, psychologically, physically. And if I don't see what someone is really like physically, uh, that is just such a joy for me to, to open that window for someone and say, what if you did it this way and they don't have pain or they're able to do it in a way that they've never been able to do it before? And it's, it's an aspect of fitness, uh, of rehab, that people completely dismiss. They don't, they don't understand it, even as an individual who wants to feel better in their body, who even if they want to look better, which I'm never going to begrudge someone wanting to look better, they, they feel like it's external to them. They feel like it's uh, uh, someone has to do something to me or I need to do it like this person is doing it. I need to do it like I'm being told from this source. And their, their true connection to who they are is completely lost in that process. And that to me is the most powerful tool that someone has, is being able to say, oh, this, this feels good when I do it like this. It doesn't, it doesn't look like that, it doesn't look like that. It's not what this person told me. But it's, it's, it's a revealing of, of what feels good. It's a revealing of who they are and, and getting to know who that is. That, to me, is the most powerful, unlocking um, step that people can make to, to change. And if you are following a plan that is uncomfortable or is um, based on lack and is based on um, not enough, you are constantly push, punishing your body, yourself, for um, in, in a way that it doesn't, it, it's completely unnecessary and it's and is causing you to get further and further away from knowing how your body wants to move, what feels good for you, and what's gonna be successful for you. Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna last if things are uncomfortable, you're not gonna last if you're in lack, it's just, that's just not going to be sustainable. I think you just blew my mind a little bit because <clears throat> I've been in a situation where I have had shoulder pain for a lot of my life and I used to see a chiropractor about it. And I think they're probably a very accomplished chiropractor. And basically they said, well, your shoulder kind of slumps forward on this side. You probably have short muscles in the front and I can tape it and I can kind of, you know, crack you back and forth a bit and give you a bit of massage, but it's always going to happen because how your body just kind of like wants to pull forward. It's always going to do that. So if you come see me every, you know, four weeks or whatever for the rest of your me. life, yeah, and pay me. Um, you know, that's, we can work on that, but it's just going to always kind of do that. And I was like, okay. And so in my head, which again, you just kind of blew my mind. I was like, that's just something you're going to live with forever. And that's been in my head until right now. This was like 10 years ago. I injured myself in, I mean, I'm 
was high school was not 10 years ago. It was longer than that. But <laughs> this happened 10 years ago. And I was like, well, my shoulder leans forward. It's always going to be like that. I'll try and stand up straighter. But it just kind of is the way my body is made that way. And I'm like, oh, my God, what if there's like a different way? <laughs> like that just hit me for the first time in, in easily 10 years. Yeah. And, and it, that experience right there is why when you pay attention to what people, their beliefs, that's where the payoff is. Because people aren't even conscious. I would never have known. I'd have been like, that's just what it is. And he's, I mean, he's a doctor. I, I trust him. And I'm not saying he's a bad doctor by any means. But that might have been his actual experience. But I'm like, I just, it didn't occur to me that there could be another option. And, and, and that's where diagnosis can get dangerous, I think, in a certain extent. Like people can identify with their pain, their injury, et cetera, and, and lean into that identification. And it eventually just restricts them. Like, I mean, how many doctor's appointments, appointments have you been to, Katie, where they told me, like, I shouldn't be able to do the things that I'm doing with my body? All of them. Right? I was going <laughs> to say, I've heard yeah. about this. Yeah. Well, even a, a simple example of this is when we got a diagnosis for our older daughter that she had uh, Lyme disease with Bartonella infection. I was like, we will not identify with this because I will not allow her to think that this is a part of who she is. And the minute that, and so I would tell her like, oh, all the treatments that we're doing are to, we're, we're getting it to leave. And then when the markers got low enough to where he was like, oh, we can probably stop antibiotics and various things. I told her she didn't, we don't have it anymore. We treated it. It's on the way out. We don't identify with that. That's not who you are. And um, I was really adamant about like, I cannot have her attached to this at a young age and have a subconscious belief system that that this is a part of who she is and so i think that's what you're saying similarly that people come in and they've already made up their mind and you can't make progress and get relief when your mind has already been made up that can't happen so the first step and this is why in we shape we always talk about four things intention movement community and beliefs and we specifically picked those things because if we actually want to evoke change in somebody and get them to go down a different path than they've used to go down with other exercise or fitness products, that's the way to do it. And so it's it's so interesting to have different guests on the podcast over and over, and regardless of their expertise, it all comes down to those things. And so what I hear you saying is, if you've attached to a belief that you will never get better, that is what will happen. A hundred percent. I... Um, uh, I'll tell this story too. It's uh, people come to me, uh, you know, I've been doing this almost 30 years. So people would go to their doctor and they would have knee surgery, they would have a, a knee pain. And they'd go to their doctor and they would do the x ray or they would do an MRI and they would say, Oh, my doctor says I need surgery. I've got this tear. I've got a thing floating in my knee. I've got whatever. And um, I would say, Okay, well, we're going to get you as good as we can get you and I'm going to fix you up and we're going to do on this and whatever. And so I would work on them and I could get these people to be pain free. They can run and jump and stairs and everything that they want to do pain free, zero pain, no restriction in their life. And they'll still have surgery. Because the doctor said so. Oh, wow. Because that picture says that something's wrong with my knee. And so it doesn't matter if I can perform everything that I need to do without a problem, all that matters is what a doctor said to me about my knee and I've got this thing that is wrong, even though it's not affecting any function of my life. Wow. So I 
after that happened a few times, I just ask people up front, if they have an MRI and they want surgery, I'll say, if I can get you pain-free, will you have the surgery? And they, if they say yes, um, then I'll say, just go have the surgery. We'll do the PT after. Yeah, we'll do the PT after. Because <laughs> you having, doing these exercises and then someone cutting open your knee and doing this extensive surgery is going to kind of take you back to baseline anyway. So just go have the surgery. Um, and if they say, no, of course I'm not going to have the surgery, then I'll then I'll do the rehab course. But I don't want to waste money and time. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a waste of time. But people don't realize there's a consequence to surgery, right? Like when oh, well, you do it, your, your, your body's in shock. All the muscles around it are adapting to facilitate movement. Yep. And very rarely does anybody do the requisite rehab to bring <laughs> that back to a place of proper movement. Yeah, sure. You know, like my mom did, um, you know, I'm, I'm 15 months out from a pretty extensive knee surgery. And I have worked my butt off on strength, on proper movement, on you know mobility, coordination, and I feel like I have a long way to go still before it feels really like I have a lot of trust and stability yeah. in that movement. And my mom had a knee replacement, and I'll never forget. She's like, "Oh yeah, like I." She stood up and she's like, "I can't bend my knee." I said, "How far can you bend your knee?" And she's like, bent it, and it was like just past ninety. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And she's like, "Yeah." The therapist said I was good. Like normal people only get to like one ten after like this at my age. And I was like, "Oh my god, you're you're gonna live the rest of your life with the inability to move your body through its range of motion because somebody didn't encourage you to stay consistent with encouraging your body to get mobile after a surgery." So, I mean, there's these downline consequences. And you know, another thing just to mention too, like this isn't uh, you, just your experience. You know, they've they've done studies with people with back pain trying to identify what is the root cause of it. And they take these people with back pain and they scan all their backs and they find a lot of people with, you know, degenerative discs and nerve damage and stuff. And they find a lot of people with no damage whatsoever that have back pain. And then they flip the narrative. Let's take a bunch of people with no back pain. Yep. And they did the same thing. Bunch of people with degenerative discs and nerve damage yep. with no back pain. And then the same thing with, with no degenerative discs and nerve pain. Yeah. So they've done that with every joint. Yeah. And it basically shows you that, you know, how the cameras look isn't related to how you experience your body in right. the world. And I, I, like I, t I say to my clients, I don't, they'll say, well, did you look at my MRI? I'll say, no. Did you look <laughs> at my x ray? No. I, I said, I don't, what you, the inside of your joint looks like and what the inside of your body looks like when, you li when you're lying on a table tells me nothing. It, it doesn't give me any information that's going to be helpful for me to get you better. I need to see what you do with your body. That's. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You don't very rarely does someone say, oh, when I'm lying still on a table, that's when my shoulder is killing me. It's when I go to reach, when I go to lift, when I do the blah, blah, blah. So that's that's the important stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's the important stuff. I feel like I owe my body an apology. <laughs> <laughs> but you have shared some really important things. Just like, appreciation. Yes. But I mean, it's that, I mean, understand that your body's never doing anything that it wasn't designed to do. You ask it to do more than it's perfectly capable at that time, it'll do it. Amazing. You ask it to accommodate to you sitting all the time, it's going to do it. It, It's designed to do what you're asking it to do. Can you be aware enough of to know what you're asking your body to do? That's the trick. Mm. No more smosh fit for me for a little while. <laughs> well, I owe you a tremendous amount of gratitude <laughs> because I feel like when you have somebody like James, like as your dear friend and like right in your area, you know, like... I was just thinking um, back on that surgery, and I've had no problems ever again. I've never heard you complain about it. No. And I am likely owe you the credit to that <laughs> because I can do everything I've ever done before, um, and I have no pain at all ever. 
So, I mean, it just, I don't know. This is a fascinating conversation. I don't know how we are on time. I think we're coming up on our time. But I don't know, Tyler, if there's other things. I mean, we have James. I know a lot of our product is rooted in a lot of his belief systems and how the body should move and um, getting people to connect with their body and then changing the goal from, I mean, the biggest takeaway I hope people take from this, and maybe you have one too, is that the goalpost of pushing your body through pain in order to achieve something like calorie burn or aesthetic may not be the thing that best serves you. And the idea, if you're not like dying in the workout, like all of these beliefs that we've subscribed to may not be the thing that best serves our body. And the the best thing that we can do is understand that there's other ways of approaching movement and, and working out and checking in with how your body feels is probably the best metric. Yeah, and I think that, you know, everybody has lost some degree of movement capacity in their lives. And if you sit in that for a moment, like think about a younger experience where you were doing something and it just felt easy and pain-free and now where you're at right now. And that is kind of pointing the direction of which you're treating your body. And if you're pointing the direction towards more and more aches and pains, um, that's probably not gonna change. It's probably gonna keep going that direction. And I would just encourage everybody to not give up and not identify I'm old, I mm. this, I'm that, and wake up tomorrow and say, I'm gonna show up for myself out of self-care rather than self-judgment. And let the journey be what it is. It's not gonna be a straight line. It's not gonna be a straight you know, curve upward. Um, but I do think people really need to show up for themselves. And like you said, from the very beginning, advocate for yourself, show up for yourself, practice movement, appreciate your body. That's so big. I mean, we talked about body positivity and all this stuff a lot, but like sometimes you're not positive about it, but you can always take a moment to appreciate the fact that this thing got you up out of bed and brought you around. And it really is a miracle that we live in these amazing um, you vessels. Know, these vessels, yeah. So, man, thank you so much Absolutely. for sharing everything you did. My pleasure. Touching on the emotional content was really big because I, I genuinely feel that people get stuck in their emotions and then their body gets stuck in their movements as well. So. And it's kind of like we always remind people that if you – we have a lot of unconscious belief systems. I Everyone does. And it's okay if you pause and say – Oh, I, like the perfect example that you just said is, I have aches and pains because I'm old. Mm -hmm. That is a belief system. That is not necessarily truth, right? And so I think giving people permission to continually evaluate, this serves me or it doesn't serve me. And then really sit with that. Like I have this belief, is it working for me? And 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 take the cues from your body. And, and it's okay if the the vast majority of people around you have a belief system that you don't believe. That's okay. It's okay to it's okay to think differently. So we'll probably have you back. I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably convince you to come back be you. because you always have such amazing insight on just like the amazing possibilities of the human body. So thank you so much, James. We loved having you here and. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to write us at uh, podcast at weshape.com. And where can people find you, James? Oh, I'm all over. Okay. Um, I, uh, if you really are interested in more about what I do, uh, my uh, physical therapy website is uh, prefitpt.com. Uh, they can reach out via email uh, at uh, jvager at prefitpt.com. 
And uh, another uh, one of the other aspects of, of what I do is I really work with the energy systems of the body as well and the energy systems of who people are. Um, and I have a podcast about that. And that's uh, The Spirited Body. So um, if you're interested in hearing more about that uh, sort of connection between the physical and the spiritual, emotional, um, that's the kind of stuff we talk about. Amazing. Awesome. Well, well, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll connect soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everybody. Are you taking new clients? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always. like, oh <laughs> shit, you might not have wanted to give your email. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.